All right, I'll tell you what. I'm pretty uh, excited this morning about this, this passage. At least I think that's what I'm excited about. I'm not sure. It might be that I'm going on vacation um, Saturday, a week from today. But uh, we have a week of camp left. And this today, uh, families come for family camp. We have a high school camp. Carson, our youth pastor, is speaking at, at um, our high school camp this week. So be in prayer for him. Uh, we've got some little splash campers, kind of kindergarten age kids that are coming for a couple days. And so, and then we do a lot of wrap up things this week at camp. And so, and then next Saturday, we, we book it out of here uh, for a little bit. So I am, I'm happy about that. But I am, I think I am <laughs> really excited about this passage. As John mentioned, there are some passages that we, we don't always like or, or always uh, have a full grasp on. And this is, this is one that's a little bit challenging. Um, so I want to invite you to turn in your Bible, if you have one, to 1 John 5. Uh, and how many of you have those scripture journals? This is the last of our, our hold, hold those up high. How many of you still have your scripture journal? All right, a bunch of you. Uh, that is really good, and we're going to continue that on as we head into Galatians starting in October, and so we'll get those for you. And it's just a great way for you to follow along and keep track of some of your, your thoughts and, and some things you've learned along the way. But uh, this passage today, so if you go there, 1 John chapter 5, where it says verse 13, I'm going to just back up a little bit to, ch- to verse 12 uh, when we start. <laughs> but this week I had a conversation with my good friend Scott Sear. Uh, many of you know him, and uh, uh, Scott and I were talking, and he was facing a little bit of a dilemma. He was going away for a weekend in November, and he was saying, hey, what are the odds that you're, you're around or someone, you know, like, could, could preach for me? Uh, we're in the book of Revelation, and uh, we'll be you know, in chapter 16, and it's about the seven bowls. And I said to him right away, Scott, I'm out. <laughs> no, no I'm like, I didn't say that, but I said, um, you know, I'm probably not your, your, your best guy on, on that passage not I mean it's part of the word of God I, I should be able to but I was just like not my you know my big go-to in in some of those heavier passages in Revelation really important for the church but I basically I told him I said um, here's here's my my theology or my kind of understanding of of Revelation how how to you know preach Revelation is that this is that tough times ahead Jesus wins choose Jesus the end book of revelation wrapped up well and then we started talking i said you know but but how can you help can you help me out with first john chapter 5 you know verse 13 to 21 and uh you know talking about this this sin that leads to death you know it's kind of a thing we'll get into and and he just responded he just said well all sin leads to death amen so there we go. All, all good. Um, good to have good, uh, good friends that can make things simple for you. Uh, but we are going to head into this passage today. And it uh, was not my intent on the last Sunday of our First John series to be in a passage with, with this much in it. I honestly, when I laid it all out, I had planned to just end with verse 21 as the last sermon. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That was it. That was going to be like the last, the closer. And now, um, just as it worked out, and when you get into a, a text like this, uh, in this letter of First John, there's so much in it. And of course, you've seen sort of the waves of it and the way it's kind of uh, ebbed and flowed and, and through some of the very familiar themes. 
Um, but we, when you start studying it, and there's, oh, there's so much, you just couldn't quite get in everything that you wanted. And we also had thought, well, maybe we'll get into 2 John and 3 John. We didn't get there either. So today, this is what we have left. So let's get into it. 1 John 5, and we will start in verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All right, so there's four big questions we're going to touch on today. Each one of these obviously is, is a, a sermon of itself or a series of it on its own. But these four questions arise from this text. First of all, can I know I have eternal life? Secondly, does God hear and answer my prayers? Third, is there sin that does not lead to death? And fourth, are believers protected from Satan. All right, how are you feeling about those questions there? Ready to, to buckle in? All right, here we go. First question, can I know I have eternal life? John says yes. John says yes. Again, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what? It's very, very weak, very weak today. Let's try it again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, nice, that you have eternal life, so that you may know that you have it. You have Jesus, and life comes from him, or you don't. Does it get any clearer than that. You have Jesus in life. Or you don't. It's that clear. It's like either you have money in your wallet or you don't. <laughs> 
money in your bank account or you don't. It's not a spiritual Bitcoin or NFT, something that's floating out there. Uh, that might not be a good example. I'm not really an expert on those things. But, you know, it's not something that's tangible. It's either something that you have and you possess or you, or you don't. It's like you have real food on your plate or you don't. It's not an imaginary feast like Peter Pan's Lost Boys in the movie Hook. You know, you know the scene I'm talking about where they don't have any food and they just imagine all these things and they start this big food fight. You're all looking very blank. You've never seen it. You should, it's a great movie. Right? Okay. Good. Good. A few thumbs up there. So it's like, but they don't actually have it. They make a lot of, they have a lot of fun with it. But it's imaginary. This isn't our faith. This is something that we, John says, we can have, we possess, we abide in. You either have Jesus and you have life, or you don't. You have an abiding relationship with him or not. There's no middle ground. John 20, verse 21, again, same, same author, only this is his gospel, the gospel of John. He says this, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, in this series, of course, we've, we've talked about these three sort of criteria, these, this, this metric for how, do we, how can we know, how can we test, examine if we are, in fact, in the light. And so the truth test, kind of foundational, foundational place we begin is saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This is, this is the, the first question that we ask people who are in the baptismal tank or, or as we had some out at, at the lake at camp on Friday. It was cold, but it was like 10 degrees. <laughs> it went from 39 degrees to 10 in one day. And anyways, I didn't have to go in the water this time. But it's like we ask this question. First thing, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he provided your only means of salvation by his death on the cross? That's the first question we ask. The truth test. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Secondly, there's the moral test. Do you recognize that you are forgiven of your sins? That Jesus alone is the one that can do that. And walk in obedience to his commands. And then the love test. Having received the love of God, the love of the Father, then the fruit of that is loving one another, loving your brother and sister. And so the question of this series that we've asked and we've set out from the beginning is, am I in the light? John's purpose throughout this, this book, this essay of sorts, is and our prayer as a church for us today in 2023 is that for each of us in examining our life, asking ourselves these questions, is that we would come away confident, being assured that, that we have eternal life. And that this, this is resurrection life that's available to us now. It's not just a future thing. Oh yeah, I'm good to go Looking forward to heaven. We have it now. We have resurrection life by abiding in Christ now. And so if you lack this confidence, we would pray that you would respond to the message of life that's found 
in the good news of Jesus. That you would repent of your sin. That you would confess Jesus as Lord. And as a result of that, you'd experience the joy of being actually born of God. So can you know that you have eternal life? Yes, you can. And so if that's a question for you today that you're wondering, we would love to talk to you more about that so that you could know that you have life and have it in Jesus. All right, secondly, does God here answer my prayers? Guess what? John says, yes. He says, yes. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, this is an like, ongoing question, a challenge. This is a, a question we get asked by the youngest of campers at camp um, to some of you who I talked to uh, well advanced in, in, not years, but in faith, let's say. Why, does God hear me? It seems like I've been praying the same thing all my life. Or I've been praying this intentionally for so long, and it just doesn't seem like God is paying attention to me or listening to me. And this is a challenging question. Now, I don't want to just, like, skirt it or anything, but I want to just address the fact that we, we talked about this last year in a series that we did in the spring. The series that was called Nine Things That I Don't Like About God. And... And whether you, you liked or didn't like that title, <laughs> there's things that we wrestle with. Things that we come to in scripture that are going, I, I'm having trouble reconciling this in my everyday reality. And answered prayer or unanswered prayer is one of those things. And so I'll just refer that to you to go find that sermon entitled, I don't like it that God doesn't answer my prayers. So you can find it and you would, you would listen and it would go deal with a lot of these things. But for today, I want to say these three things. John clearly puts a, a defining kind of area on, on asking, on what we ask for. And we see this in the words of Jesus and throughout the apostles' letters. That what we ask for, we ask according to his will. We ask according to his will. Now... Sometimes we say, well, man, what is the will of God? Like, I don't know. How do, we, how do we know? How can we understand the will of God? Well, a lot of mystery. A lot of mystery to that. And so what do we do as believers when there's things that we don't understand or that we find mystifying or find confusing about God? We go to his word. His word, how he reveals himself to us, how we, he reveals his heart to us, what his intentions for us, how we realize his, his goodness, his faithfulness to us is evidenced. And then we also look at some things that say really clearly, this is what the Lord's will is. And so just a couple uh, for you to, you know, to understand that the Bible talks about that, that the Lord's will, he desires that all people will be saved. That's, that's his desire. His, his desire, his will, is that all people would come to faith in him. That they would all would, would repent of their sins and be saved. And so that would be a very clear thing that we could be praying for, right? It's the Lord's will. 
Another one is that it's the Lord's will that you should be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, it says it very clearly. It is the Lord's will that you be sanctified. And it goes into actually a very clear example of that in that, that you should flee from sexual immorality. That you shouldn't lust after things of this world the way that pagans do. So it, that you would be, as a believer, set apart, sanctified, growing, becoming more like Christ. That's the Lord's will for you. Does that take up any of your prayer time? Another one very clearly is that we should be thankful. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we could go on and on from there. Here's my little challenge to you for a little bit of homework. If you want more on this, do a, a very clear word search. There's lots of things in the Bible that tell us these are his imperatives, his commands. This is how, what he wants for us as, as his children, how to live. But look very clearly, very specifically for where it uses that actual term. This is the Lord's will for you. This is what the Lord wants. And write those things down and see how you could bring your life into alignment with those things and start praying specifically about those things as a start beyond your everyday circumstances as well. All right. So that's one thing very clearly. Ask what is according to his will. Secondly, this is a, a helpful thing that Tim Keller says, is how we pray and what, what do we ask for? And, and he says, ask. We should, we should start thinking and asking what we would ask for if we knew everything that God knows. <laughs> now, of course, that's a mystery. We can't always know. But, but the things that happen to us, if we, if we look outside of our immediate circumstance to say, man, if, if we knew everything that God knew, that he is outside of time and space, and that he could see the trajectory of our life and all the circumstances and all the things, the things that we are very concerned with in our immediate right now, and he cares about those things, and he wants us to bring those things to him, but that we'd start thinking, if I'm going to ask things according to his will, but ask things that, you know, if I knew everything that God knew about what decisions I would make, how would that actually, how would that actually play out? Uh, more than just looking at it saying, God isn't, God isn't hearing, God isn't listening to me. Third is this, asking, praying with the, with the tension of this full confidence that God is able and full surrender in knowing that God is God. And so we come to him with a request and we ask this according to your will, God, whatever you will, but we recognize, God, you are powerful, you are able, you can heal, you can restore, you can bring all this about because you can do it. And we pray with that confidence, but at the same time in the tension, we say, whatever you decide, whatever you want, I will surrender because you are God and I'm not. And so we say, God's will be done even in my present condition even in my suffering and my pain. And I'm not saying ever that this is easy. But I'm saying when we look to Scripture, we see examples of this. We see, you know, the Apostle Paul, we'll talk about this in a second, that three times, you know, as he had this thorn in his flesh and he called out to God for deliverance of it. And God, God said, no, that's yours to bear. And that Paul was able to say that, you know, 
your strength is made perfect in my weakness, that your grace is sufficient for me, even in my pain and suffering, no matter what it is, and ultimately even in the life of Jesus, our Savior, who prayed, take this cup from me, yet not my will be, but yours be done. And I know that those are big examples, you know, Apostle Paul and Jesus. But we see that in the servants of God, that God's will was done even though the prayer wasn't answered maybe in the way that they expected. So we have full confidence and full surrender. Okay, and again, I just say look up that other sermon and there's some other really, I, I hope, helpful things for you as far as prayer. All right, third, we've got to get into this one. Uh, is there sin that does not lead to death? Is there sin that does not lead to death? John says, yes. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, I've been thinking about this for a while, this, this passage, and I was thinking, man, you know, John, could we just sit down and talk about this? What, what were you thinking about here? What, what, are you, what are you talking about here? Now, it could be as clear as my friend Scott Sears saying, you know what, all sin leads to death. And, you know, all this, and, and some people have asked this question, what do you think that means? They were just very clear, just made perfect sense. Wonderful for you. Uh, there's challenges. There's different nuances in this, in this text. And so my goal in this is not to, to confuse you. My goal would be, if, if what I say as far as my interpretation of this is doesn't jive with you, or you want to do some more study on it, bless you. And I, and I think... Um, that's, that's a good takeaway from this, is anytime you hear something and you go, hmm, I'm not sure, do study on your own. Um, but this one is, it has some challenges in terms of the phrasing, and I don't want to bring about confusion uh, with it. So I want to start out by saying some clear biblical truths that we understand from the fullness of the counsel of God, and these things we see are very clear. First of all is this, is that all sin, all sin, leads to death apart from Jesus. We see this Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. It's not one particular sin. It's, one, it's, it's actually it's sin that is wrongdoing, that is apart from the instruction of God. It's, it's rebellion, independence from God. That leads to death. It doesn't lead to life. It leads to spiritual death. That's clear. Secondly, we see in Scripture very clearly that Jesus' death paid the penalty for sin. John says this earlier in this, in this book, 1 John 2, verse 2. He says, he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice. He's the one that made it right, or the propitiation, the sacrifice that was there for us. Sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so, sin leads to death. Jesus became our substitute, paid the penalty of sin. Now, as far as what John is talking about here, that th there's a sin that does not lead to death. Let's say this, is that any sin that we confess 
he forgives. This is what we've seen earlier. Again, 1 John 1 verse 9, critical understanding verse. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just. One thing that we had happen at, at camp or something that happens when we have campfires and we ask kids, like, what did you learn? What did you learn this week about camp? And it was kind of around the circle. Um, kids are kind of put on the spot. They don't always know what to say. But so this was a common theme they would say is that no matter what you do, God will forgive you. And it was just around, around the room. And so I stepped in pastorally not to, not to disagree fundamentally with that because we believe that is true, but just as an overarching thing to say, whatever we do, God is just going to forgive us, is missing a very important part. Because it says here that he is faithful and just. And the only way that he can be just is if there is someone that pays for that sin, and that, we believe, is Jesus. So to understand that God isn't like this cosmic grandpa, you know, that's just like, oh, do whatever you want. You're so cute and, you know, love you, you know, and just here's some more toys, play. And, oh, you know, you spilled that. Oh, you hit your brother. That's okay. That's, that's not the picture we get in Scripture, that their sin has a penalty. There is justice, and God in his balance, his fullness of love and justice, something had to be done to pay for that sin, and that was Jesus. So... There is forgiveness that is available to us by confessing, by agreeing with God that what you've done is wrong, it's been against God. But he's faithful. And he's just because of Jesus to forgive you. All right. Now, another truth here is that we, believer, we as believers, uh, we will still sin. But we do not continue, as we talked about a few weeks ago, in an ongoing, self-endorsing, habitual life of sin. This is what he means when he says, those who are born of God do not continue to sin. Continue in this pattern of sin. So there's still going to be times where we slip up. And this is the balance that we see in, in 1 John. There's, there's this... As a believer, someone that's born of God, your spiritual DNA has completely changed. That the fruit of your life is going to be righteousness. It's not going to be characterized by sin. But at the same time, in our everyday experience, we know this. And what John says as well is that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Jesus, who will forgive us. So John is instructing us to pray for our brother and sister committing a sin to pray for them. Now, you know, this is not always our first response. We see someone, one of our friends, someone in the church that's, that's doing something that's sinful. And our, our first response isn't always to pray. It's to gossip. Tell someone else. Invite them to pray with you. Or to tell the pastor, did you know about this? Have you done something about that? Happens. Or else it's to come in hot in the, you know, with judgment. That's, that's sometimes more our first response. But John says we should pray. Pray that they would repent and experience the joy of abiding with Christ again. But then he steps into this where it's the sin that leads to death. 
Now, there's, a lots, there's lots of different interpretations on this one. And I will share what I believe is the best one, but I'll, I'll be honest. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Because as I've done study on this and I've read ones that are really, really smart people, strong people, they see this passage differently. So, you know, I will say what I believe is, is what I think is the best interpretation, but, you know, you can do some study on it too. All in all, I don't think it's going to, to wreck the fundamental truths of what I've just said. All right, so the sin that leads to death. I don't, I don't believe that this is talking about a physical death, okay? Um, this is what I was taught in Bible school, and this is what some still, still hold to, that this would be a brother or sister that's, that's a, a believer, that they do something, a sin that's so heinous that, that they're destroying the reputation of, of the church or of, of Christ, that God just says, done. That's it for you. Now, does God have the, the righteous jurisdiction to be able to do this? For sure. We, you know, we, we don't, we, every, all of our lives are, are in the hands of the Lord. But this is what, what some, some hold to, is that this is a, a, a physical death, that this person has, a, has gone on this pattern of sin, they're a person of, of claimed faith, but it's just something that God just says, you're done. And very true, you, he brought you into this world, he takes you out. Now, we see evidence in, in ways of this in scripture as far as Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied, deceived the Holy Spirit, boom, dropped dead. Uh, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about those who were being gluttons at the Lord's table. And it says, this is why some of you are, are sick and even dying. So, could be. It could be the, the reasoning behind this. The reason that I, I don't feel it this way is the context. And that's always where we have to, to look when we try to understand Scripture, the intent of Scripture. Chances are very good that the people that John was writing to had a clear understanding of what he was talking about. And... It's a little bit vague for us. But here, here's the, the context is this. There's nothing that talks about physical death. It's talking about eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life. First John 3, verse 14, just earlier, says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so there's, there's nothing that really talks about a physical death that isn't there. But again, I could be wrong on that. That could be, could be the right thing. I'd say this. I don't believe that this is talking about a particular sin, a sin that's so heinous, that's so bad. It's talking about sin in general, a sin that leads to death. And so when, when we hear about this, you might say, oh, man, what is that sin that leads to death? And you go, man, uh, better make sure I don't commit that one. And so it leads to this kind of the speculation of, of what this is. I, I've talked about this before. When I was a kid, I probably thought the sin that leads to death was going to the movie theater. <laughs> right? And my parents, had, you know, godly people love Jesus and, and, you know, who knows. But they just, it, no, I mean, I know they were saved. I know. But I'm just saying, they said to me, it was clear to us, it's like, what if Jesus would return when you were in the movie theater? And some of you are going like, that's hilarious. But that was reality. 
And so the idea was, oh no, like that would be unforgivable that if you were in the movie theater. And then, of course, the complicating factor was when the Billy Graham movie came in. Then they were like, uh, don't know what to do on that one. But if we identify a sin, what is the sin? And so speculation, you know, throughout the year, is it, is it murder? Is that the sin that leads to death? Is it, is it suicide? Is it a sexual sin, a sexual immorality? But I want to be clear that as we see throughout Scripture, like this is, this is something that you shouldn't, as a believer, get caught up in this, this thinking of, if there's something that I have not confessed and been forgiven by Jesus and then I die, that my salvation is, is lost or insecure, right? So, because that then it places all, like it puts it on us instead of the saving grace and the faithfulness of God and his salvation, that we are held as his children in his salvation. So it's like, whatever I do, oh, did I, did I, and I've done this as a kid, I, you know, I was like, oh, did I, for, did I ask forgiveness for that? Oh, did I confess that sin? And like, what would happen if I had died? And, and that, that, isn't, that isn't a biblical understanding of you being born of God, being a child of God, saved by his grace, held by him, and so it isn't, it isn't a case that you have to always play this juggling act of, of what it is. It's just the, the lifestyle of a believer is that of, of walking, abiding with Jesus, recognizing where you fall short, confessing it, and renewing that relationship with, with Jesus that's held by him. Okay, so what I, what I hold to in this, this is my understanding, is that this is a person that, has, uh, that is not a believer, uh, the sin that leads to death, it's a hardness of heart. There's this context that has been laid out throughout John of this criteria. Uh, a refusal to acknowledge and believe in Jesus. A refusal to confess and repent of sin. And a refusal to love their brother. That is that's what we've seen throughout this whole book. Is someone that is outside of the light of Christ. So this hardness of heart, so in the way that sin leads to death, it's just that it's the occurrence that happens outside of Christ. And so there's a rejection of all the light that the Holy Spirit has brought into your life. And we don't, we don't know when this is. It's a heart condition, but something that has happened so much that you've, you've continually rejected the Word of God, the Spirit of God. And that, that has brought a callousness to your heart that, that you're actually unable to repent. And so God gives you over. It's a, fine, have it your way. And that isn't to say that this is an easy thing or that God isn't gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, as we read, and, and slow to judgment. He continues to pursue us. But it would seem that there's, there's some point that you've just rejected everything that God could potentially do to draw you. And so he says, that's, that's your choice. So to be clear, I would see that the sin not leading to death applies to a believer who needs to return to abiding in Christ. And we're told to pray for this. 
Return, come back to Christ. This sin does not lead to death because the believer is born of God and salvation is dependent on the faithful work of God, not our perfection. Sin for a believer imp impacts our relational fellowship with God, but, but not our standing before him as a child of God. The sin leading to death applies, as I interpret it, to a non-believer who rejects Jesus. And apart from Jesus, there is no life. All right, so I've unpacked that a little bit. I invite you, if you want to do more study on that, um, you know, go ahead. But uh, that's where I'll leave it there. All right, last one. There's a last one. Easy. Are believers protected from Satan? <laughs> Verse 18 to 21. John says, yes. <clears throat> we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All right, just a couple things on this. I think it's very clear what John says is that there is no spiritual Switzerland. There's no, there's no neutral ground. There's either you being in Christ and abiding in him or you're in the world that is under the control and the power and the dominance of Satan and the evil one. That, that's what he is saying. Like the world is under his, it lies in the power of the evil one. But if you are in Christ, if you have an abiding relationship with Jesus, then you are safe from that. Safe from the evil one does not touch him. So if you're in Christ, you are in the light and if you're not in Christ, you are in darkness. There, there is no neutral territory. And so I say this to you who may be in that position where you think, well, you know, I'm kind of, uh, you, you've heard me say this before, talking about, you know, there's the fence. And you're standing on the fence and you're deciding whether you want to be in the light with Christ or not. But the, the devil owns the fence. And so whether it's you, whether it's someone that you know, that you feel it's kind of ambiguous, they're kind of, I don't know if they're in the light, I don't know if they're saved, I don't know. Like, you have the sun, you have life. If you do not have the sun, you do not have life. It's that clear. And so when we are in Christ, what is true of Christ is true of us. That is a very clear principle, if there's anything that you should write down from this, is that what is true of, of us, when we are in Christ, what's true of him is true of us. And that comes to how anything of evil can, can touch us and attack us. It's true of Jesus. It's true of us. Now listen, so the only influence, this is what I'll, I'll close with here, is that the only influence that Satan has directly on our lives is what God allows or what we allow. Okay, so the first one, what God allows, we see this in Job. You can read Job 1 and 2. We see how God allowed Satan to touch, touch his life, bring affliction to him, take away all the things that he had, he possessed, his, and then, as well as his children, and even his health. 
And yet Job still said at the end of the day, even as we sang, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, praise his name. But Satan was allowed to, to touch that part of him, but not his ultimate life and faith in God. Also in, in the Apostle Paul, I, re- I talked about that earlier with the thorn. And it says clearly in that passage that there is, the, the thorn was a messenger of Satan. And so he was, was allowed to afflict the Apostle Paul under the sovereign plan of God and the purpose to, to keep him humble, to recognize that his strength came from, from God. And so it was attributed to evil, but it was still under God's sovereign plan for his purposes. So there is times God allows things. But also what we allow, and that's where he ends with this. He says, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. He says, the true God and eternal life is in Christ, the Son. There is Satan's influence and control in our world that we as Christians are are free from as we abide in Christ. He keeps us spiritually secure. But where we can stumble is being distracted by idols. And an idol is anything that distracts us or takes priority over abiding in Jesus. What slips in to take Jesus' place on the throne of our lives? What steals our affections rather than stirs our heart for God is an idol. So he says, be on your guard. This word keep, it's like guard it, protect it. Protect your heart against those things that steal your joy and distract you from your purpose and your mission as a follower of Jesus. So as the worship band's going to come up, I just want to say this. This is an invitation I hope that you hear today that we would extend to you to say this, to reflect on your life today and say, do I have life? Do I have Jesus? Do I have the Son? And that you would respond to that today and just in simple surrender and trust and say, you know, I don't know everything. Lots of things in scripture that are, are complicated and, and I don't understand, but I know the truth and I know that I'm a sinner and that I need to be saved by God's grace and that he provided a means for that in his son Jesus on the cross. And so let me pray. Lord, we, we worship you now in this moment. We sing this song to point to you, to, to direct our hearts to you. And I pray that the things that we've heard in this sermon would, would only serve to point us closer to you, not to create a fear or confusion, but that we would hold to the, the simplicity of, of coming to you in faith and trusting you with our heart, with our soul, our mind, and our strength. Amen.